Hello and welcome to another PCOS Diva podcast. This is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And I'm really glad that I've been able to welcome back Dr. Felice Gersh. She's a regular contributor to PCOS Diva. And she's going to be talking to us today about inflammation and the gut. Um, If you've been a frequenter of PCOS Diva, you'll notice um, some of the wonderful articles and podcasts that she's shared about inflammation and one about gut biome. And we're going to kind of bring both of those topics together in this podcast uh, as we talk about inflammation in the GI tract. So welcome, Dr. Gersh. Well, thank you so much, Amy. It's a pleasure to be back and to talk about what is really about the the most critical factor in all of the issues facing women with PCOS, and that is systemic inflammation and its origins, which probably are within the gut. So I just want to give listeners um, just a quick um, kind of bio for you. So um, they know your area of expertise. You are one of a very small number of fellowship-trained integrative gynecologists in the nation. You blend the best of the world of natural and holistic medicine with the state-of-the-art functional and allopathic medical treatment. And you have a real extensive knowledge of the complex interrelationships of the body's organs. So you're looking at all aspects of health, working to reestablish a healthy gastrointestinal tract, adequate sleep, good mood, great nutrition, high energy, balanced hormones. It really takes this holistic approach. Uh, and you also um, are a, a, a um, gynecologist, and you are working on a book about polycystic ovarian syndrome. So just wanted to give everyone that kind of overview of where you're approaching um, your uh, the, the topic about inflammation in the GI tract. Oh, yes, absolutely. I became very disgruntled back um, quite a few years ago as I looked at what was happening in conventional medicine in most areas involving women's health, and in particular with women with PCOS, when the only thing that women were offered were birth control pills and a few pharmaceuticals, which had Mm -hmm. a limited amount of, of impact and didn't at all deal with the underlying issues. And so I had to go and delve and research and learn mostly on my own and with making wonderful connections with people like you so that we could actually really delve deeply into what is really happening with women and what can we offer them. And it became clear that with PCOS that inflammation is an overriding and consistent element of this condition. And uh, that's why I'm so excited to really talk about it and some of its uh, underlying ideologies which involve the GI tract and, of course, how it interplays with every other organ in the body. Mm. So recently uh, I've been posting little snippets, um, I guess info bites, um, of information for PCOS Awareness Month, which um, is in September. And I posted something about how 
leaky gut, um, and specifically, I guess, irritable bowel syndrome. There was a 2010 study that found that women with PCOS had an increased likelihood of irritable bowel syndrome. So kind of posted that little tidbit of information and then some more information about leaky gut syndrome and how it relates to PCOS. And I was really floored by the um, comments and the amount of women that are affected with Uh, you know, gastrointestinal tract, you know, distress. So that's why I was really excited that you were going to come and kind of speak to us about that today. Um, so maybe you could kind of give us an overview of, uh, you know, kind of what what the GI tract is and, and how we can kind of calm some of that inflammation that's going on there. Well, of course. It's definitely become a focus of attention these days, and rightly so. The GI tract is often called the second brain. We know that there's more neurotransmitters produced, for example, serotonin, in the gut than in the brain itself. And as well, there's a very intimate connection between the gut, which includes the entire GI tract, and the brain, which is now known as the gut-brain axis. And in addition to many, many ways of communication between the brain and the GI tract, there's a nerve, the vagus nerve, which is like a direct conduit, avoiding and not even requiring use of the, the spinal cord to communicate very directly to the GI tract. So whenever a woman, we'll say, we'll talk about women, has any sort of emotional feelings like anxiety or Um, depression, the vagus nerve suddenly transmits that information to the GI tract, which will then respond and become altered in terms of its motility, and then as well, inflammation develops, the wrong types of bacteria can overgrow and set up a whole cascade of events, which can lead to things that are the grab bag label of irritable bowel syndrome, which of course is just a symptomatic label. There's really things that are going on beneath the surface that are really very critical to the function of the GI tract, which of course relates to every other organ in the body. So women with PCOS are particularly vulnerable to GI issues, and I would say that close to 100% of women who have PCOS have some sort of GI problem, even if they are not even aware of it. Women with PCOS have distinctly abnormal mouth microbiota. The, the bacteria that grow in their mouths, they've actually checked, and they're different from another woman who's matched in the same age group. And then when you talk about irritable bowel syndrome and people have emotional issues, and women with polycystic ovary syndrome tend to be more what we call sympathetically upregulated. So their sympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system is more like um, it's, it's sending out more signals than it should, and, and so they're upregulated. Sympathetic nervous system is involved in like the fight or flight. When women are feeling anxious, their heart will beat faster, they'll sweat, they'll have um, GI symptoms, which usually are like acid reflux and sometimes diarrhea, and um, have to go to the, the bathroom to urinate more frequently. So all the things that you think about with anxiety, they're related to upregulation of the sympathetic nervous system. And we now know that women with PCOS tend to have more of that happening in them, which then translates into more GI issues. Um, so they tend to have more irritable bowel syndrome, which is often now re recognized as related to having what we call SIBO, or small intestinal bowel overgrowth. So because of reduced stomach acid production and um, 
the sphincter between the colon and the small intestine not really working well. You have the bacteria coming up into the um, small intestine from the colon and from the stomach down into the small intestine. So you have bacteria overgrowing in the small intestine where it doesn't belong. This creates inflammation as this bacteria overgrows. And then as you eat food that has fiber, healthy fiber, the bacteria in the small intestine start to ferment it, which should not happen until it reaches the colon because you have too many of these bad bacteria growing in the small intestine. So then they get bloating and gas. And depending on what the different products of fermentation are, if it's, um, if it's methane, then they get diarrhea. If it's hydrogen sulfite, then they get constipation. And it can alternate between the two depending on what the foods are that they eat and the bacteria overgrowing. And then they get an overgrowth of mucus in the small intestine, which then prohibits proper digestion and absorption of nutrients. So many women with polycystic ovary syndrome will have nutrient deficiencies that are critical, the different B vitamins and such as magnesium, which of course have a big role in how they work with their metabolisms and glucose transport. So you can see how this like is a snowball effect. And then they get the wrong bacteria overgrowing in their colons, or they don't even have what they call good diversity, which is another whole big area that they don't have the right bacteria, they don't have enough different species of bacteria, so they don't do the proper fermenting of the fibrous products that they eat in their food in their colon, and then they get different problems down line as well. So it's from top, from the mouth, all the way down, and of course if they have um, reduced stomach acid, which is also very common, especially with stress and nutrient deficiencies, because it's, once again, with the snowball effect, if you don't absorb the nutrients and you don't have enough zinc and you don't have enough thiamine, which is vitamin B1, then you don't produce enough stomach acid. And then when you don't have enough stomach acid, the sphincter between the stomach and the esophagus doesn't close, and then you get reflux, and then you get inflammation in both the stomach and in the esophagus. So it's... um And then, of course, you mentioned like leaky gut. When you have inflammation in the gut, the little single-cell barrier that keeps the contents of the intestine from transferring and crossing into the body itself proper is no longer intact. And you can have particles of partially digested protein, which we call peptides, can cross over into the regular part of the human body where 70% of the immune system resides lining the gut, and that's called the GALT, the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. And then you're starting to upregulate inappropriately the immune system, creating cytokines, these inflammatory products, and also the immune system can then get dysregulated and start making antibodies against these protein peptides. And over time, the body gets confused and starts making antibodies against yourself. And that's why so many women with polycystic ovary syndrome also have autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. That's very, very common. And they get passage of these other things called LPS, lipopolysaccharides, which are products from the gram-negative bacteria that overgrow also in the intestinal tract. And then these also upregulate the production of inflammatory particles called inflammatory cytokines. And then the cascade just continues. These cause insulin resistance and upregulation 
of um, production of IGF-1 and insulin, which then causes in the cells more testosterone production. And then we know where that goes when you have too much testosterone, and then they get acne and hair loss. So you can see where at the center of all of this, it comes down to what's going on in the gut. And that's where you know, you and I come into play, right? Because we can give advice to try to help stop this, you know, overwhelming cascade snowball effect of things that are happening that are starting within the GI tract. Yeah, and I think a lot of, you know, after listening to that, I think a lot of us just say, okay, I'm just going to throw up my hands. What What is there to do? Um, I, it seems like the, the chips are stacked against me. Um, but, you know, I think that... We, there are there are a lot of things that we can oh, do. Oh, so, absolutely, so Amy. It is educate us. You know, it is um, overwhelming to hear like this and that, and it goes to this. But let's you know, if you break it down one by one, what can yeah. we do? Well, number one, um, honestly, start with stress reduction because the, the sympathetic upregulation is controlled through your moods and those are you know they're wonderful things that you can do whether it's guided imagery meditation progressive relaxation um, just taking a walk on the beach in your bare feet. You know, there's so many things that you can do to start to downregulate, subdue that sympathetic tone, and sort of get that vagus nerve quieted down to really. Because if you don't deal with the the emotions, I'm telling you, it's going to be very difficult to really over override a lot of the other things. So really start with your attitude and and say, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I don't need to know all the science. You don't you know all that stuff I just threw out. All you need to know is we're going to work on your emotions, your stress, your sleep, your circadian rhythms, you know, like working with nature, like when see the sunset every day, go to bed at a reasonable time, you know, like between 10 and 11. Don't do a lot of computer work. Don't, you know, suppress your melatonin and trigger more cortisol. I didn't mention this, but when you have stress, you have more cortisol, which creates more inflammation in the gut. So that's why you've got to control the stress and the emotions and recognize that, you know, if you're indoors all the time, you're not going to get enough vitamin D, which is also very important. So get out in nature and just take a lot of deep breaths and say, you know what, I am in control over this. I can really... I can handle this, and and you can. I mean, and we know I have so many patients who have taken their lives back. And then the next thing after you deal with the whole emotional thing is what you put in your mouth, because you know that we've talked about you know the inflammatory diet. I mean, how often has that come up? So you don't want to eat foods that are going to create inflammation, and you don't want to eat foods that are nutrient deficient. So you want to eat nutrient dense foods. You want to eat foods that are going to heal your body. And you want to definitely not put in anything that is not a food, you know. We don't want to eat chemicals. We don't want to eat a lot of sugars. So I always say if you can't, if you couldn't have eaten it 500 years ago, don't even consider eating it, you know, because no one has improved upon food from 500 years ago, I can tell you. So eat natural foods. Eat from the color of the rainbow. Um, and, you know, nourish your body. Think of food as more than just entertainment, right? We're getting to basics. Food is survival. Food is how you nourish your body. Every cell in your body needs the right nutrients in order for it to function properly. 
So you want to eat nourishing foods. And, and you have to do a little experimentation because if you do have small intestinal bowel overgrowth, the very high fiber foods may not agree with you at first because you're fermenting in your small intestine. So that's where you need to work with um, a doctor who is understanding of these things because sometimes we have to do other dietary maneuvers first and actually give you lower fiber foods initially and then deal with you know doing herbals and such to kill out the bacteria in the small intestine before we then feed a lot of fiber. So, you know, these are things that have to be managed professionally if you have a lot of serious GI symptoms. We don't want to, I don't want you to, you know, micromanage yourself, but I want you to understand, you know, what can be done and um, start with the foundational things of eating real food and foods that are not containing chemicals and such. So I, I do think that that is a real issue for a lot of women. You know, they've been eating the standard American diet, and now um, they have a PCOS diagnosis or they're they're ready to start taking control over their PCOS, and they um, start eating, you know, a densely whole food-based diet, like you were just mentioning, nutrient-dense. But most of those foods are high in fiber, and then they have gastrointestinal distress, um, right. And so if they, you mentioned finding a doctor that understands these things. Um, you know, sir, a challenge, I know. Yeah. So what, what kind of, um, what, uh, is it a GI doctor, a functional medicine doctor? Like what, what would I would you always advise? say if possible, find a functional medicine doctor. Of course, if people can travel to me, um, we do have an away program for people that don't live in my neighborhood, and, and I can work with them to get them started. Um, but really, I hate to say it, but many of the conventional gastroenterologists, they really are not looking at below the surface. They do a lot of scopes. They tell, they're very good at detecting cancer and giant ulcers, but they're not very good at managing and fine-tuning the gut function. They really, that's not really what they were trained to do. So you're much better off finding a functional medicine doctor um, or a naturopathic doctor if you, you know, if you can't come and, like, say, see me because um, they are much more geared towards the function of the GI tract and healing the GI tract, and there is no magic bullet, and you really have to look at each individual. Because like you said, if you start eating really healthy foods and lots of root vegetables and beets and things, and then you feel worse, um, that's really clear-cut evidence that you have small intestinal bowel overgrowth or SIBO, and you're fermenting in your small intestine where you shouldn't be. And you really have to um, get that cleared up. And, and and that is not something that you should be working on on your own, truthfully. So you really need to get a functional medicine doctor to work with you on cleaning up your gut and getting the bad bacteria out of your small intestine. Okay. Okay, so once you've um, done that, how do you keep, uh, I guess, feeding your gut the good stuff? Like how how can you move forward to create optimal gut health? Well, one thing is, um, and we had talked about this a little bit, was was starting with the mouth. So the mouth is the forgotten part of the GI tract. People just don't think about it. But um, 
the idea of cleaning up your mouth in terms of getting rid of harmful bacteria without killing the good bacteria. 99% of the bacteria in the mouth are the good guys. So one thing, never use mouthwash. That stuff is poison. I know they say kills germs on contact. But remember, <laughs> the germs are our friends. They are doing amazing things. If you do not have the right bacteria in your mouth, you can't make a critical um, substance called nitric oxide, which is made in the stomach, which is a gas which diffuses out of the stomach and it goes into the arteries and it's what maintains artery health, which is a problem for women with PCOS. They often have um, what they call endothelial dysfunction or the lining of the arteries are not healthy and you need to have nitric oxide, but you need to have stomach acid and you need to have proper bacteria in the mouth. So get rid of all mouthwashes that are chemicals. Okay, we don't want chemical mouthwashes. Now, you can use sometimes uh, natural things like um, like we had talked about, like the sesame seed oil. Organic sesame seed oil can be helpful. And I actually went on PubMed and looked it up, and there's quite a few published articles. There are some other things like bilberry extracts and other natural phytonutrients that can be swished around in your mouth and between mm -hmm. your teeth that actually are very um, very good for cleaning up the gut and uh, the, the mouth microbiome and helping with healing the um, the gums and it turns out women with polycystic ovary syndrome often have very inflamed gums and uh, they actually have their issues with the mouth that are very unique in polycystic ovary syndrome so definitely you want to have regular tooth um, cleanings and gum you know make sure your gums are clean and get rid of plaque where bacteria can you know kind of accumulate and pr proliferate so you want to take care of your mouth the other thing that I advocate is for as much as possible eat food and chew it as opposed to drinking your food. So I'm not against drinking green smoothies. However, recognize that you're missing the whole benefit of the mouth when you drink your food. So I much prefer, if possible, to chew your food and chew it well, like your mother said, chew it 32 times before you swallow it, mix it with your saliva. Saliva has digestive enzymes. So remember, digestion starts in the mouth, and it's a very critical part of the GI tract, and take care of your gums and your teeth. And we won't even go into on this, on this one. Maybe another time we can talk about dental amalgams and toxicities and all, because, you know, we can't go into everything in just a little bit of time, but um, environmental toxins have a big role in also gut inflammation, and poor, poor, our poor mouths are often filled with chemicals, right, in our teeth and such. The other thing is choose a very good natural toothpaste as well. Um, you don't want to put chemicals and you don't want to put little beads of plastic in your mouth. You know, you've probably been reading about that. And some of the, right. um, some of the toothpaste have in them triclosan, which is mm -hmm. like a chemical antimicrobial, which also kills all the good bacteria. So don't get a toothpaste that has triclosan in it. And they're actually yeah, selling with these little particles. Mm -hmm. It's an endocrine disruptor. It's an endocrine Oh my God! Yes, it's an well. endocrine disruptor. Absolutely. I mean, these are terrible things, and we're putting them in our mouths, and they're being absorbed and going right down into our intestines. So, um, be very picky about what you put in your mouth as far as um, things to clean up your mouth. You're destroying all the good stuff, and you're poisoning your um, your endocrine system as well. And then in terms of the um, esophagus, if you have like burning and so on, if you have acid reflux, there are many natural herbal products that um, include things like slippery elm and 
a certain form of chewable licorice that they call DGL that can be very coating. These are what we call demulsants. They can coat, and then you can also get um, marshmallow root. There's a number, aloe vera juice. You can, if you buy aloe vera juice, be very careful, though. Make sure it says fillet only or alloin-free, or you get the component of aloe vera, which is a very, very potent laxative. And uh, you will definitely notice the effect. So make sure that any aloe vera juice you get says alloin-free or fillet only. But aloe is also a wonderful um, demulcent as well. So you know, these are all things that you can – and you can go to a health food store to get some of these. Or I think you have some of these products as well, um, don't you, Amy? Well, I, yeah, I, I have berberine, which is an and yeah. Oh, and I didn't get into it, like berberine. So berberine, if you have um, – issues with gastritis, and you have H. pylori, which uh, overgrowth of H. pylori, that's a, a whole other big topic. But berberine is excellent along with some of these other demulcents that I just mentioned, the, you know, the chewable licorice and the slippery elm and the marshmallow root and bismuth and so on. All these things can be very helpful for getting rid of the, um, the H. pylori as long, along with certain probiotics that are very, very helpful. If you take various strains, particularly of the lactobacillus and some of the bifidobacterium, that these are very helpful for getting rid of H. pylori. And in fact, in studies now, they've shown that they do as well and actually often better than the traditional antibiotic and uh, PPI treatment that they use for H. pylori. And recognize, too, that H. pylori is not a bad guy. It's a good guy. It's supposed to be often in the stomach. In fact, there's some data that show that it's actually protective against stomach cancer. The problem is when you have everything going wrong in the stomach and you have um, the wrong types of bacteria and you don't have the right nutrients and you don't have enough stomach acid, that you don't have the proper amount of mucus coating in the stomach and then the H. pylori comes right up close against the, the tissue of the stomach and then creates ulcerations. But in a healthy stomach, H. pylori should not be treated. There's been a lot of change in the thinking about H. pylori. So just having H. pylori in a, in a perfectly healthy asymptomatic person should not be treated. Okay, that's really important in case you ever go to a doctor and they say you have H. pylori. Well, if you're feeling fine, leave it alone because H. pylori is a, not a bad guy. It's only when you have a sick stomach that then you have, these are what we call, and this is really a very important concept, the what are called commensal bacteria. These are normal inhabitants of our intestinal tract. But when you have an abnormal environment, the friendly guys, the commensals, become unfriendly. It's kind of like if you have a friendly dog, but you put him in a really scary environment and suddenly he acts up, right? But it's really a friendly dog, but you just mm -hmm. do the wrong things and then he acts up. You take all your friendly bacteria, but then you do everything to create a bad environment for them to live in, and then they start turning on you and acting up. But the bacteria themselves may not be the problem. It's all the other stuff that's changing the environment that they're living in. So it's a whole different view a lot, a whole world that's changing in how we're looking at the whole GI tract. In fact, we're looking like for the colon, we're not just looking at what types of bacteria you have. What we're looking at is overall diversity rather than individual species. What we want is lots and lots and lots of different types of bacteria. They've looked at primitive societies that eat on average 100 to 150 grams 
of, of fiber a day. The typical American has like 5 to 10 grams. It's like almost nothing of, of, of fiber. They find that the typical American has at least one-third fewer types of bacteria growing in their large intestine, in the colon. And this is really critical because each particular species has a special job in terms of how they digest and ferment the fiber that you eat. So, and so it's like the poor planet Earth where we have different species going extinct on us. So what do we do? What happens when they're gone? What do we do? We can't replace the carrier pigeon, right? What happens if they're gone? They're gone. Well, the only thing with humans that gives us hope, and there's research coming down the pipeline, is fecal transplants. So if you get tested, I recommend that everyone with PCOS get um, their GI tested to look at what their microbiome is. We can, using what is called polymerase chain reaction, PCR, we can actually do DNA assays and you can actually test your microbiome. There's like a whole big program going on in the nation that's called the, um, the Microbiome Project that people may have heard of where they're looking at typing microbiomes, the bacteria, in all different parts of of people in their mouth and like in their sinuses, vagina and, and in their intestine to see what is normal, what is typical. But you know, you can not be part of that project. You can just get it through labs and they're not that expensive and see what's really going on inside of you and see if you have overgrowth of bacteria, see if you have low diversity. But in the future, um, there may be um, fecal ca- capsules and fecal transplants and things so that if you have low diversity, you can find a healthy person and there are still a few of them out there, but fewer and fewer, unfortunately, and take their um, fecal microbiome and transplant it into you. So, But in the meantime, there's other things that are being researched like probiotic enemas. But certainly what I recommend, and I'm sure you do too, is as you get the once the small intestinal bowel overgrowth is cleared, to eat a lot of high-fiber foods, natural foods, and also eat fermented foods. You know, that's not part of our diet, but in traditional societies, eating fermented foods is is really a, a daily event. Like the Koreans have their kimchi, and there's kombucha tea, and then there's um, some different types of fermented, of course, yogurts, which can be helpful when they're the organic, real kind. You know, we don't want processed yogurts with all kinds of chemicals in them and artificial sweeteners and sugars and things. And, um, you know, you can get sauerkraut and you can, um, you can make your own. A lot of people I know are fermenting their, their own vegetables and it's not very difficult. And then you can, any vegetable that has a crunch, you can ferment. And then if you eat it, it'll really help to repopulate your intestinal tract. So yeah, then you'll I, have a I, much healthier gut. And, and I completely, um, agree with the adding the fermented foods. I've seen that's made a tremendous, um, Improvement in my digestion. I had um, Summer Bach. She's um, kind of a fermentation expert on the podcast about a year ago now, and she advocated eating two forkfuls of. It, it's, but it's really important. It's raw sauerkraut, um, not the. the oh yeah, don't heat it up. <laughs> no, yeah, or don't no, heat it up. You heat it up <laughs> and put it on a hot dog. That's not going to do you anything. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and there's a wonderful um, local uh, here in New Hampshire. It's called Micro Mamas, a, a local company that makes delicious fermented vegetables, and they sell it at Whole mm. Foods. So I buy a jar of that and have a, um, like a forkful a day, almost like a, a supplement. And that's probably um, yeah, but I'd say like a couple of ounces. But that's probably about the same yeah. as two forkfuls, huh? Yeah, yeah, a couple of forkfuls, and um, you, know, you can put it on your salad or just uh, you know. Just eat it as is, and 
It's really easy, and it, I think it just makes a tremendous difference. It um, does. Oh, it's such a wonderful thing to heal the gut. It's so, I mean, these are steps that can change a person's life. And by the way, you know, um, I find that when people do this and they have, like, cystic acne, it dramatically improves because, remember, yeah. the skin is a reflection of your underlying inflammation. Heal the gut, and then and the other, you'll, you'll heal your skin dramatically. And the other thing is the brain-gut axis is a two-way street. So if you have anxiety and depression and, and a lot of, you know, the mental things that are going on in your life, it'll upset your GI tract. But as you heal your GI tract by doing all these wonderful things with your nutrition and herbs and such, then it'll feed back on your brain and it'll be brain calming. So it's a both, it's a two-way directional event, the brain-gut axis. So, you know, it's, which is so good and that's why there should be tremendous optimism. There's so much that we can do to make women with PCOS healthier through healing their gut and then healing their, their emotions and because they go together. And then healing the other, systemic inflammation. Yeah, and the, and the other thing I was going to mention, um, was wondering your thoughts on it, is homemade bone broth. Um, oh, I love it. I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up. I have it every day myself, just about every day. I, I use chicken bones, but you can, mm-hmm. because I just happen to love the taste, and it's always uh, free-range organic chicken, of course. That's our goal. And uh, But you can use any any healthy animal bones to make bone broth. And uh, do you have a recipe? I mean, I can go over it, but yeah. if you have an easy yeah, access no, recipe. Yeah, no, I have an easy access recipe on the site. Um, Wonderful. You know, just add, I always like to add a couple teaspoons of apple cider vinegar to kind mm-hmm. of reach the nutrients um, out right, of the bones. Right, it leaches all the good stuff out of the bones, absolutely. Yeah, and it's something, you know, now that we're getting into the, the cooler weather, that's, um, I always buy a, a ch- uh, organic chicken every week and roast it, and then, you know, you can use that today. I roasted mine yesterday, and now I'm making Thai chicken chowder for dinner after we get off, Wonderful. off the call. Now are we all um, invited over? <laughs> yeah, so I know. Good. I haven't, my, my stock is actually simmering right now, and it's just so easy. Oh, I can almost roast. smell it here in California. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, oh, you yeah, know, so I was to mention also along the lines of what you can do with just foods and such, I I love a lot of teas. And when I when you give herbals as a tea, it doesn't feel like you're using a medicine, right? So mm-hmm. just things like ginger tea is very good for digestion, and mm-hmm. and ginger is naturally antimicrobial as well. And chamomile, which which no one in the past understood how chamomile can be good for the GI tract and it's emotionally calming, right? Well, now, of course, we understand because what's good for the gut is good for the brain, right, and vice versa. So chamomile is a wonderful tea. So I encourage people to drink regularly ginger tea, chamomile tea. Um, They're they're really wonderful to to have. And um, those are, like, I think, musts for women with PCOS. And also if they like peppermint tea, because peppermint also, um, and spearmint tea particularly, can lower their testosterone. So you can get some of the the benefits of those types of teas as well. Yeah, and I have um, a couple articles on my site about tea and the ritual of tea. Oh, great. I love rituals, so that is also wonderful. Yeah, I just, I believe, I mean, especially uh, for me, you know, about uh, my kids come home from school around 3 o'clock, and I usually go and, and make a, a pot of tea before they get home and make sure I, you know, kind of sit very mindfully and have a cup and kind of mm. center myself before the, the craziness of the evening begins. And I, I love think, that. 
yeah, you know, you you have this really fragrant tea and you put it in your, I have a pretty little teapot that I treated myself to and, um, you know, you have to wait for the water to, to boil and then the tea to steep and you kind of smell the fragrance and... Um, it I is. Just, it's, I, it's, I think that is fantastic to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a reason why in the British societies they had their, like, 3 o'clock afternoon tea. Of course, high tea, but, you know, skip the, the crumpets and the, those yeah, things. Right. But the idea of having sort of a late to mid-afternoon sort of tea rejuvenation time, it, it's wonderful to, and if you can have the time to listen to a little bit of um pleasant music and even go outside and you know I'm I'm always big on earthing I don't know if we've talked about you know the the issues with electromagnetic radiation which are pervasive now in our society and really not healthy to say the least but if you can get you know get outside and even take your shoes off you know while it's still warm and you know you have limited time now in New Hampshire but you know while it's still warm and and just put your feet you know run it through grass and so on and look at the sky and drink your tea and um, or even if you can't look out the window, you know, and and just take in a little. They've shown that looking at nature will lower your sympathetic tone and make you feel calmer right there. And you know, I just wanted to also mention before we finish that for women who have irritable bowel syndrome, the pharma the pharmacological agents are bad for you. I mean, drugs that block the ability of the GI tract to have motility. You know, drugs like Lomotil. Uh, drugs that paralyze the GI tract because you have diarrhea, they're not getting to the root cause at all, and they're harming you. So please don't don't take those things. You know, go find a functional medicine doctor who understands that you have to heal the gut, not paralyze the gut. You know, that's not the solution. And PPIs are evil. They are so evil if you have acid reflux. Stomach acid is critical. I mentioned that it's essential to making nitric oxide. Without stomach acid, you don't trigger the pancreas to secrete its digestive enzymes properly. You don't get the gallbladder to contract to release its bile. So you're going to have increased risk of gallstones. You're not going to digest your proteins. You're not going to digest your fats, and you're not going to get your fat-soluble vitamins. I can't tell you how terrible it is to take chronic um, PPIs, those are drugs like Prilosec, Prevacid, right. Nexium, and so on. They are terrible, and you can't just stop them, though, because I call them the crazy maker drugs. They actually give you the problem they're designed to treat. In fact, they have studies where they gave totally healthy 25-year-olds these drugs for three months, and at the end of three months, most of them, when they just suddenly discontinued the drugs, they had acid reflux because they paralyze the um, the sphincter because it keeps it stays open because you, it's the stomach acid that triggers the sphincter to close and for three months these people had no stomach acid so their sphincters got sort of stuck in the open position but they're still capable of making stomach acid when you take the drug away so you get this gigantic rebound of stomach acid production the sphincter doesn't close and so they get this horrendous rush of acid up into their esophagus and they feel horrible and so people who have been on these drugs and they suddenly stop it and then they have this overwhelming burning and and horrible heartburn, they think, oh my God, I really need that drug. The drug caused the problem. You can do that to totally healthy people. So you can't just stop it. You have to once again have a functional medicine doctor who knows how to slowly wean you off of these drugs, which which is 100% of the time doable, by the way. But then you also have to look at why did you have a problem with heartburn or reflux in the first place, and that's where you get to the emotions, the foods. You know, people can have food sensitivities. We can't, you know, obviously this goes way beyond 
one little um, podcast. But, you know, you can, certain foods, if you get leaky gut, you may develop allergies to specific foods that you have to avoid for several months while you heal your gut. So it's complex. And some of these things you can do on your own and you can always do the right things like um, drinking tea and making bone broth and taking some of these um, very safe herbal things. But if you're really having significant problems with your GI tract, you can't do all of this stuff on your own. But you need to find someone that will be an ally with you and work with you, but without these really, really harmful pharmaceuticals. So, Dr. Garsh, can you tell us uh, if somebody is interested in working with you, how can they connect with you and and what's the the protocol? Oh, sure. Well, we have... um, several different programs that are available depending on what people want and so on. And um, they can call my office. I can give you the number, or they can, and that is 949-753-7475. And they would ask for my Amy, so that's easy to remember because I have an Amy here who is in charge of that. Or um, if it's um, attached to the podcast to my, um, my email, and they can email to me, and I would be happy to respond. So we have programs that involve myself. We, we you know, try to do, like, the total picture. So depending what people are open to, like, I have a naturopathic doctor that works. We work very much as a team. Um, and as well, I have Chinese medicine. We have fitness. So we do all kinds of stress reduction. We have massage. So we have a, a variety of of tools, I say we have an expanded toolbox, but we work with people and try to make it very affordable. We and then um, once I, see, I by law in California, I can't treat people in another state. I can treat people in California with never seeing them, but if they're in another state, I have to at least see them to begin with. I don't have to see them all the time, but I can't just treat people um, specifically dealing with their issues without seeing them at least initially in person. That's just the law right now. Of course, telemedicine laws may change, but um, by law I have to see them in person. So people would have to come and fly to Southern California, which fortunately is an easy place to get to because we're right by John Wayne Airport here in Orange County. And I've had people come from all around the world, and then they combine it with a vacation to Disneyland or Newport Beach and so on. So it's um, it's very doable because I have tried, and I have to be honest, it's really – hard to find people who have niched as I have in learning about these, this condition. It's just right. um, it's overwhelming for most doctors, and most gynecologists um, really haven't gotten into it to the degree that, that we have, and they still sort of reflexively just prescribe birth control pills and uh, some metformin and then tell them to everyone to go see different doctors. So you can end up seeing like five different specialists for every symptom you have, but each one just prescribes their own separate pharmaceutical. So before you know it, you're on all these different drugs and not really getting better at all because none of those drugs ever address the root cause of the problems, as we know, right? They're all about cover-up and symptoms. And, and the problem is even if they help initially, they're not going to help long-term. In fact, interestingly enough, an article was just published looking at women who have IVF, who've had, uh, who have PCOS, and they found that pretreatment with birth control pills, which has been a standard, is actually harmful. So, I mean, it's just um, when you actually start doing studies, and I have a lot of great concerns about women being on birth control pills, especially long-term, because we now know that birth control pills actually disrupt the gut. They alter the gut mucosa. They alter the gut microbiome. So birth control pills are harmful to your GI tract. 
and and they're not so good for your brain either and they do increase your risk about 24% of breast cancer and somehow these things are not getting talked about so, yeah and women you know, with PCOS are at double the risk of blood clots um, oh my gosh yes and blood clots and and go go way up with um in PCOS women because they all have the thrombophilia the increased clotting and and of course we know that we don't give birth control pills to women with high cardiovascular risk like smokers and women with PCOS do have elevated cardiovascular risk. I mentioned that their endothelial lining of their arteries tend to be less healthy. So, um, And birth control pills are not hormones. It's really a very important take-home message. They're chemicals that actually disrupt the normal hormones of your body. That's their whole point, right, so you don't get pregnant. Right. They are not right. hormones. They talk about them as hormones. They are not hormones. They're chemical endocrine disruptors that can bind to hormone receptor sites. You know, we have to call a spade a spade. That is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and there's more information about the pill on PCOS Viva uh, and the downside. So, yeah, definitely check well, that out. But you are such topic. a wonderful You're, resource, Amy. Oh, I just love it. Oh well, I love I love you. You're like a breath breath of fresh air coming on to share your knowledge um, with us and. I will um, be posting some um, information about your practice under this podcast, as well as uh, links to some of the things that we talked about as well. Um, We mentioned oil pulling um, when Mm -hmm. Dr. Gersh was talking about the sesame oil. I have an article about that, as well as the bone broth. And um, perhaps uh, Dr. Gersh could post some info about the, um, the types of tests women should advocate for if they're experiencing um, you know, gastrointestinal issues? You had mentioned Oh, that. sure. Do um, you want me yeah. to email that to you? Yeah, sure. And then, then we'll post that so you know, you uh, know absolutely. what. Absolutely. I can get that to you. I think that, you know, I, I'm a big believer, as a, since that's what I am and I'm an MD, you know, in doing uh, the testing that I can access so that I just understand the specifics of what each individual person has going on in her. So um, there's so much that you can do without being tested, but by the time someone sees me, obviously they need more intervention. If they're going to be seeing me, I'm going to be doing testing. Right. So it, it is important. Women with PCOS need to be knowledgeable and um, advocate for themselves. So so that would be great if you can post that. We'll post that information for listeners. Uh, and I just want to thank you, Dr. Gersh, for it's, taking your your time to you know explain these um really complex issues to us in, in a way that we can understand and then take action on yes i mean the the reality is that the human body is the most complex creature that exists and they've now discovered that the microbiome, the bacteria that reside within the the human intestinal tract is the most complex ecosystem on the entire planet. So, you know, it's like so overwhelming even for doctors to try to master all of this. So basically, my goal is just to let people understand that this is a very involved situation, but that it can be managed and that there's so much hope and so much that you can do to to make your GI tract healthier, and then that sets the stage for all the rest of you to be healthier and happier and have the life you deserve. Well, wonderful. What a wonderful message of hope to leave us with. So thank you all for listening, and look forward to being with you again next time. 